0: Welcome to the Annie monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hempil.
1: And I'm Kayla Hempill.
0: On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title.
1: We've come back from the world of sickness.
0: Mostly, I say.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What a journey it has been.
0: Last time, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and the show that appeared is called The Garden of Sinners. We're back to having some more complex backgrounds that I'm going to talk about for way too long. Uh, so those days of the nice two sentences were, uh, are, are beyond us now. <laughs> the Garden of Sinners is known in Japan as Karano Kiyokai, which means the boundary of emptiness. It began as a light novel series from 1998 to 1999 and was written by Kinoko Nasu. And uh, this name specifically hasn't come up before, but we have talked about this person Mm -hmm. quite a bit. So I wanted to take a minute to kind of flesh this out since we haven't talked about the author specifically before. Uh, This is the author of Fate Stay Night, and he also wrote several of the Fate series anime and the video games like Fate Extra and Fate Grand Order uh, and was... uh, at least in writing credits on a whole lot of the Fate stuff. Uh, Obviously, it's kind of exploded beyond him at this point. So there's a lot of writers involved, but he's kind of the original author of that whole universe. Uh, He also wrote a visual novel called Tsukihime, which eventually became a game called Melty Blood, which is uh, special to me. Uh, because it's kind of a cult classic in the fighting game community. And uh, the developer of that game eventually used their experience to create Uniel, which is one of the best fighting games of all time. And Uniel has a loose connection to Skullgirls, which is the best fighting game (laughs) of all time. Uh, So this guy actually co-founded Type Moon, which is kind of the publishing franchise that that houses all of this Fate stuff and Tsukihime and Melty Blood and all that kind of all of the whole Type moon universe. Mm -hmm. So we we kind of have a lot of connections with this creator already, uh, but I personally haven't looked into or read or watched Garden of Sinners up to this point. After the original light novels, uh, they released this as a series of seven anime films, which started in 2007, And uh, because of the author's connection to Faith's Stay Night, these films are also produced by UFO Table, uh, like that series was as well. Now, this is uh, kind of a first for Any Monday in the fact that it's films, also. Uh, They are all connected, and it is a series, but they're, they're much longer and can kind of vary in length. So we watched the first two and they are not chronological, so we kind of got a little bit of uh, a timeline gap. But uh, Kayla, would you like to talk a little bit about the overall plot?
1: A teenager named Shiki lives an unusual and often dangerous life, making it difficult for her to connect with her peers. When a classmate starts to pursue a friendship with her, Shiki doesn't know what to make of it. These are the stories of how their two fates became forever entwined.
0: So I guess the first thing to note, based on all that background information in the overall plot is that this is kind of loosely related to fate in the sense that all of the type moon stuff is interconnected in some sort of cinematic universe i suppose yeah uh so there are some character crossovers but none of these characters in the garden of sinners are characters that we've interacted with before so uh as as we also mentioned uh the episodes are a-chronological, so we're, we're kind of watching events unfold out of order. And I'm finding that that kind of makes it difficult to talk about in a narrative kind of context, because there are a lot of gaps in our understanding of what we know about the characters and what they're trying to do in the show. And um, luckily, the the second film that we watched is chronologically the first thing that happens. So we kind of get the very beginning of stuff, and then we get a picture of what happens a little bit later on.
1: Because of the way that the episodes are ordered, we don't get the traditional character development that you get from a, a series that's happening in chronological order. So I think there's, it's challenging to invest in these characters in the way that we would in shows that, you know follow that character progression. But this is something I have a lot of experience with, with different books or movies that, that I've really enjoyed. So I, I don't find myself struggling as much. Once I understood how the timeline was going, I was able to get behind it and understand like, oh, okay, I need to disengage from that traditional character development that I'm usually looking for and understanding that that's going to be unraveling in a very different way.
0: With the the timeline gap between the two episodes that we did see, um, our main character, whose name, uh, as you mentioned earlier, is Shiki, we kind of see two totally different characters between those periods, and it does have me curious, like, what happens between those two things that causes such a a radical shift, because uh, for all intents and purposes, Shiki is a, like, serial killer, uh, which is what we see in her high school years, is that there was this string of murders going on, and Shiki is the one responsible for them. And her classmate is kind of catching on to this as he's trying to develop a friendship with her, and she's being really distant about it.
1: Yeah, and and his way of approaching her about it is basically to stalk her, to get her to stop <laughs> And that episode ends in this really weird place and that's all that we get to see. It doesn't actually get resolved, which is sort of interesting between the movies is that because it's in this a chronological order, the tension is built up in each movie, but it's not resolved because you're not finishing out that story because you might be jumping into a different part of her timeline. And so... There's sort of this tension that's happening in each movie. It's building and it's building. And then when you get to the end of the movie, nothing's resolved. It just sort of cuts. And then you start the next movie, but you're in a totally different part of her life. So nothing's really resolved yet. And I can imagine that going through these movies, the end would probably be very cathartic because you'd finally get resolution to all of this. But it's kind of hard just watching two movies because you have all this tension and and no release. There's, there's nothing to resolve what's going on.
0: Yeah. And, and I do wonder how effective that is going to be because, you know, I don't know if one of the movies is going to start out immediately with the resolution that you were seeking from that previous movie. Uh, or if it's just going to kind of assume things and make some leaps in logic and just kind of present the, the main sort of sequences that you might need to know about and kind of leave those gaps open, um, and unclear at this point.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of what ends up carrying this is our experience with the writer. Knowing so much about him now, I'd be curious to know how people reacted at the time being that this was one of his earlier works
0: yeah and especially since uh, as we'll probably get into later with this being his earliest work he was basically a, a pretty unknown author at the time and has only exploded like more recently i guess let's talk a little bit about shiki herself and um what we do know about her so far which is a little bit spacey but uh, we, we come to find in, in the early timeline that she comes from some sort of family that has, like, connections with this kind of supernatural, magical kind of history. And uh, she is set to become the successor for her family, um, as opposed to her brother. For some reason, she's she's been chosen, and he hasn't, um, despite that being kind of unusual in... Um, this kind of japanese family
1: yeah they seem to imply that something was wrong with him that he was unfit in some way
0: and part of that may have to do with the fact that shiki has two kind of distinct personalities um one is kind of the the female personality that we see more frequently uh, especially later in the timeline who's Kind of, I would characterize as, like, a little bit cold and distant and... Uh,
1: Emotionally flat.
0: Yeah, flat, maybe even bitter. Like, mm-hmm. seems kind of generally antagonistic towards, like, a lot of uh, human interactions and, and kind of normal everyday things. And then uh, this kind of more mysterious male personality um, who's who's cooler and, like, a little bit more easy to interact with but seems mischievous and a little bit you know like I said mysterious
1: they kind of described this personality you know in the sort of traditional yin and yang but it makes me think of the id if you know anything about psychology the id is the part of our desires or impulses that is just sort of, like, instinctual. It's like, imagine, like, a toddler. You know, they just want what they want, and every emotion just goes with they do what they want as they want, when they want it, without really thinking about any of the consequences. And that's kind of how this personality is. And, and this male personality even describes themselves that way, that they say, like, well, I'm the part of Shiki that allows her to do the things that she wants to do but can't.
0: Uh, And I think the kind of interesting thing about those two personalities and how the male is kind of like the, I just do what I want, is that it's really kind of unclear who the actual like murderous personality is, because it kind of seems to be the female one. Uh, despite the fact that the the male personality is a little bit more, like, unhinged, I guess.
1: Yeah, when that personality does emerge, uh, I'll just say he, uh, he talks about that. Like, he says that that's what she wants to do, and so he does it because he's the one that can. I also thought it was interesting that he's the one that's actually more friendly, yeah. Like he's way more personable. Uh he will be like physically affectionate with the with the classmate and and is more carefree and they actually like go and hang out and like laugh and have a good time together and then is having like a very, you know, kind of serious, intimate conversation with this classmate. And it's it's interesting that it isn't just about the fact that it's like you know, it it allows Shiki to be murderous. It's, it also allows her to get close with people in the way that she can't with her female personality.
0: Uh, The only kind of connecting line between those two episodes that we saw is that we know there is some sort of accident and that Shiki has like lost an arm. So she has a prosthetic arm later on and that the male personality is is either like completely gone or it's subdued and that her female personality is kind of who she is.
1: One thing I did want to note, just because this is my field, is that this isn't actually trying to do like dissociative identity disorder, which I thought was really interesting because I see a lot of shows try to to have different types of like personality or, or psychological disorders and fail utterly. And this show decided to take that concept, but say, that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to do that. So we don't care about those rules. And I appreciate that as somebody that works in the field, is they're saying, we like this concept, we wanna do something with it, but we're not making it about that at all. And so it's interesting the conversations that happen between the two personalities and what ends up being this dynamic, this role that they have together, and that it's not about like a mental health thing. It's about this sort of wholeness that they have together, that the two of them make this person together.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a universe of magic and alternate realities and things like that. And so they've chosen to embrace that universe and the rules of the universe rather than trying to pull in like mental health kind of stuff and saying that's the reality of this character. It's more like there's something weird with her family Mm -hmm. and she has like taken on literally another person.
1: It seems like they've been there the whole time. That this is something that she's maybe even born with is that the two of them together have existed forever together. Right. That it wasn't some trauma that happened to her. It's just who she is are these two components.
0: And kind of um, along those lines, she has some sort of supernatural abilities that are unexplained so far. Her eyes get all glowy, and she has some ability to, like, interact with and see, I guess, the dead Um, the paranormal kind of stuff that she interacts with in the later timelines.
1: Yeah, something about her eyes allow her to see, I can't tell if it's weaknesses or the lifelines or they appear as different red, almost like slashes on whoever she's seeing. We've only seen her do that on paranormal. So we don't know if that's everybody or if it's just the paranormal that she can see that on
0: so we've already talked a little bit about uh, her classmate from high school his name is makia and like i had said he he was kind of witness for actually at least one of these murders outright um so he is aware of who she is and um is actually told about the two personalities and for some reason he sticks around and doesn't tell anybody, even though he had, like, a relative who was actively working on that case, which seems real dangerous to get involved <laughs> in. Uh, but I guess, like, talking to both of those personalities, like you were, you were saying, um, especially with the male personality who was more open to him, um, somehow learns to trust her and believe in her and think that despite her murdering... Uh, That she can, I don't know, I guess be redeemed in some way.
1: This is a pretty common trope that we see, especially with male protagonists. Is the male protagonist will be especially kind to the female counterpart and will go out of his way to do what he thinks is right for that girl, despite whatever she says. And, which
0: is, by the way, stay away from me. I'm going to kill you.
1: Yeah. And and sometimes, oftentimes, that works out for the guy. That's unclear how much that works out here um, because he does definitely almost get murdered by her. But bad things do happen to him. In the first episode, we don't really get to encounter him very much because he's in this weird coma-like trance where he's not really in a coma, but he's not really functioning. And that's due to something that they got involved with. So in terms of his personality, he's a pretty standard kind of male protagonist. But I love that he's not really the focus of this series. that He really is secondary to her, which I think is a better role for this trope.
0: Right. There, there's definitely, like, a romantic interest going on, but it's kind of played down compared to all the other stuff that they're trying to accomplish in the narrative. Um, after this sequence where we see them in high school and after some sort of incident has happened that we haven't seen yet, they kind of join up with this pseudo-detective agency that I guess deals mostly in paranormal supernatural kind of stuff and so Shiki uses her abilities to to try to solve those cases and uh I, it seems help the dead move on that kind of stuff mm-hmm. which you see a lot in the, in this kind of thing and uh he's there also but like you said he's comatose for the whole episode so
1: yeah and it's kind of unclear what his role would even be other than the fact that they kind of briefly mentioned that he found the owner um because not only does she sometimes do paranormal cases she makes these life-size really realistic dolls and he saw one of her dolls and became really interested and he found her and she's like a total recluse. And so I guess she brought him on. That's like the most detail that we've gotten. It's kind of challenging to understand what their dynamic really is because even in the first episode, it doesn't really seem like they're romantic or at least it seems one-sided and it seems like it's mostly on his side
0: yeah, there's there's kind of a weird dynamic with some Haagen-Dazs ice cream <laughs> that I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Yeah. Uh
1: that had to do with the weird timeline stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and they kind of interact in her apartment on occasion. He goes to check on her. But yeah, like like you said, his role at the actual detective agency is completely unclear at this point because he personally doesn't seem to have any like investigative skills or supernatural abilities or anything like that
1: not that we've seen
0: Uh, but you alluded to uh, a character named toko who is kind of the owner operator of the detective agency and her primary role does seem to be like she she makes those doll things which uh, it's also unclear if those are like autonomous or if they have any sort of functionality Um, besides being just there.
1: She's also the one that supplies Shiki with her arm that she ends up getting replaced. But this is like a highly sophisticated arm. Um, And I can't tell if this means she's like a bioengineer of some sort or if this is like there's a magic here that we just don't know or understand yet. But there's a point in which she's rebuilding an arm for Shiki and... The arm is open to, you know, you could see like the mechanics inside, but she's definitely connecting like tissue and nerves on the inside. So if they are actually like robotic in nature, they're definitely highly sophisticated. I have an inkling that there's something magical going on just because that's the world that (laughs) we seem to be living in. Right. But we don't know a whole lot about her in general because she was really only in the one episode before we went back in time.
0: Yeah, she basically fills kind of a support role in that episode. Uh, like you said, replacing the prosthetics and then kind of giving information on the case that Shiki is actively working on. Yeah. I guess to kind of close out our discussion on story and characters... The specific case that shiki was working on before we got the backstory dump from high school <laughs> was basically that, like, there was a string of suicides going on. And they were all taking place at this one kind of dilapidated building uh, that used to be, like, an apartment complex or something. And it was all these, like, teenage girls who were jumping off the building. And so shiki goes there. Expecting like this doesn't seem normal and ends up finding like uh, spirits who uh, of the girls who who had uh, jumped and basically kills them like she she uses a knife to kill ghosts in this show is what it seems.
1: And the whole time she was using her eyes for that. And this is where I was saying that she can see these marks on these spirits and that's what she was cutting That's what's unclear is again we don't know if they're lifelines or if it's the thing that's tethering them to this world mm-hmm. but something ab- about knowing where those are seem to be the key. I don't think it's her weapon doesn't seem special in any way I think it's about her eyes
0: right. But we see from her, like, high school kind of backstory episode that she had trained in some sort of martial arts and, like, with a sword. And so now she is still an accomplished fighter, and um, these are, like, physical fights that she is having with these spirits. This story in particular, in this case that she was working on, seems strange, especially in the way that this particular story resolved. Uh, They come to find that these were caused because there is a girl somewhere in the city who is infirmed. She's bedridden in a hospital somewhere, and basically has the ability to project her own spirit elsewhere. And so she kind of inhabits this building as a spirit, and convinces these girls to do this so that she has friends to hang out with at this building.
1: Yeah. And from my understanding too, she's blind. Um, Like she can't see the view from outside her window. And this is the way that she can see is by projecting herself. And she's trying to find some sort of like resolve for the state that she's in and the place that she's trapped. And it seems like by convincing these girls to jump, She's kind of trying to make that happen for herself in a way that she can't. And it's a it's a weird sort of interaction that that they have,
0: especially in the fact that this case basically resolves when Toko figures out who the spirit was and goes to the actual physical person and has a conversation with her. And the episode basically resolves in Toko convincing this girl to kill herself. Yep. Which makes me think, based on the previous, like, the the backstory of Shiki is a total murderer, and Toko, like, ending a case in this manner, I don't know that these are great people.
1: Doesn't seem like it.
0: Which is an unusual setup, and, and maybe they're gonna try to throw the timeline around so that that is, like less clear or isn't really what we think it is up front but uh these two episodes have not set up a great picture of who these people are
1: or it has and they're just not great people
0: yeah (laughs) all right well i think we're gonna take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the production values for the show
1: Colin, do you want to start our conversation about the production?
0: As I mentioned earlier, this show was produced by UFO Table, the uh, same production studio who worked on Fate Stay Night um, and the Unlimited Blade Works revision that we, we also watched. And as we've talked about before, this studio has a pretty specific style that they like to go with. And is well-known for really, really high-quality animations. Um, this is one of their earlier shows. Um, it was, like, almost ten years before the Unlimited Blade Works version uh, came out. And so it's not quite the, like, CG sort of masterpiece. It's it's definitely more of a traditional style than some of the, the stuff that we've seen out of the later Fate Stay. But that said, they still pay a lot of attention to the animation qualities. And and so while I think it's not quite the overwhelmingly gorgeous thing that you might see in their later productions, it's still really nice. I think I had a few problems with some of their ac- action sequences. There was uh, specifically one scene I- I'm thinking about where Shiki was training with her father back when she was younger, and they were like having a sword duel, and they kind of did this fake, almost like Born Identity sort of camera-shaking, like, you know, somebody's holding up a camcorder kind of look. And it just came across really cheesy and unconvincing, uh, given the, the quality of the rest of the show. Like, way more heavy action sequences didn't have this kind of thing. So there, there are parts that fall flat, and I think the studio has has progressed so much since this point. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily have any major flaws to point out.
1: No, I think this is something that, like you said, even, even in their earlier years, they just excelled at. Something that I really noticed as I was kind of analyzing this show and then thinking back to the other uh, fate that we watched... This production studio really has an eye for detail. And I think the thing that has probably stuck out to me the most is that they spend so much time on their backgrounds. Everything is incredibly detailed. These worlds are so real. You can really sense what's going on because everything feels lived in without feeling cluttered. There's enough detail that You know, it's the things that you would notice in a room, but not so much detail that you're kind of overwhelmed by it. But the thing that was kind of contrasting that I was thinking about is this is kind of the opposite that a lot of animes do. A lot of animes that I've seen, and especially on the show, put a lot of detail into their character designs, so they make their protagonists very interesting, and they they stand out. They're very colorful, or they're bold, or there's just something very unique. You know, there's kind of that trope of, you know, if the main character has blue hair, that's how you know they're the main character, because everybody else in the background has normal hair. And something I was thinking about with this series is that this production studio tends to not do that with their characters. Their characters tend to look pretty normal. They don't have crazy hair typically. They are wearing normal clothes that you would see in that world. And if you were to just have the character outside of the show, they wouldn't look especially interesting. They would just look like a character. But I think what makes these characters so real is The world that they live in, and I think it's something that I'm really appreciating about this studio that they're doing in multiple of the shows that I've seen now, is that the world is just as important as the characters. And so they're not going to have these really bold characters and these really flat backgrounds because there's a huge disconnect with that. And I love that they're treating their world just as important as they treat the characters. And I think that makes the characters feel more real, that they have this whole world that they live in that you can also connect with. And so while I would say that the character designs are almost boring in a way, I think they stand out much more because they have such a vivid world that they inhabit.
0: Yeah, I think that kind of world building is what this author is especially well known for in addition to his just general writing style, which personally I don't have much experience with because I've never read the source materials. It's also worth noting that he has carried the same artist with him throughout all of those productions and all of those uh, all of those writings. So I, I do think it's worth calling out uh, Takashi Takeuchi, who is the co-founder of Type Moon with the author and his illustrated Garden of Sinners and Fate Stay Night and all of those major works that uh, he originally worked on. And so I think the the pairing of these two people with the author really caring about the world development and the illustrator having that really good sense of normal-looking but really interesting characters, I think is a really strong combo. And I think that's what makes a lot of these animations and the character designs really great.
1: Yeah, I would agree that this combo is very unique and definitely a powerhouse.
0: Kayla, do you have any general thoughts and overall likes or dislikes you want to talk about for the show?
1: So I'm going to kind of shift gears. I know I've been, generally speaking, really positive about the show, but this show has something that personally really irks me, and I just had a really hard time with the show because of it, it's that this show is pretty violent. I don't just mean like violence happens. I mean, it is shown in quite a bit of detail, and I really don't have a stomach for that. And so this is something that I struggle with with a lot of media is I don't think that a show should necessarily be knocked down because it has violence. I think violence can be part of good storytelling. I just personally really struggle to see that sort of stuff. And so this this show was really hard for me because of it. Um, I've talked about this in previous episodes. I, I just get real squeamish real quick. And because of the intensity of the violence in this show, from the first episode, the first episode isn't about her being a serial killer, but there's all these suicides that they're showing, and that's already hard to see. And then having the second episode be about her being a serial killer, it was it was just overwhelming immediately. And so, for me, that was really hard to get into. And so, uh, I I kind of I, I kind of wanted to be able to say like that was something that really bothered me without saying like oh it's a terrible show for doing that because i don't think that's true it's just personally i i can't i can't handle all the all the graphic violence in the show
0: yeah i don't think it's something that benefits the show particularly well and i think fate stay night in at least the iteration that we watch later does a much better job of making it matter and not really focusing in on the kind of graphic nature of things in this show. It's you know she murders five people and all five of them like lose their heads or something right. along those lines. And um, there's no reason we should be sui- seeing every suicide. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and, and so I agree overall. That, like this is a paranormal investigation show. <laughs> like I don't I don't need to see that kind of stuff every episode. Yeah, I've I've also kind of been mostly talking pretty positively about this show, but I, I do think it has some pretty serious flaws, and I think it really shows how much this author has grown uh, since this work. And uh, you know, again, gonna gonna bring it up. Fate Stay Night was an adult visual novel, so <laughs> you can always go back to that and know that. The source material was probably really good, but it had problems, and the anime adaptation that we loved so much really just turned that source material into something that's nearly perfect. And so, this is a really important work because it spawns such a huge universe, and covers a lot of media that I really care about a lot, like all of those fighting games that I mentioned and the entire, like, Fate Stay Night sort of thing, and Fate Zero, and all of those shows that are really great. Also, what I alluded to earlier was that this was a self-published work originally. It was a a doujenshi, which means that it was self-published, like, independent, and he basically would have posted these chapters online, or he had done, like, limited physical prints at Cat which is like the the big uh, doujinshi publishing that has like a million people attend every time. It's huge. And then this particular light novel wouldn't have been published professionally until 2004, which was like five years later. So it, this franchise kind of took him from this relatively unknown author to the creator of this enormous universe that... Is multi-million dollar sort of thing. And so the, the history of this show is really important. And overall, I see a lot of potential in it. I, I have a soft spot for the, like, weird paranormal investigation kind of thing. We We mentioned last week we're going through Twin Peaks right now. But maybe it's kind of a bad time to watch this because I'm also watching Twin Peaks. Because I think this is missing on a lot of things um, in its narrative kind of storytelling doesn't have the same kind of weirdness, and it doesn't have the the same sort of charm that I get out of something like Twin Peaks. Part of that is that I'm having a hard time believing that the non-linearity of the episodes is actually enhancing it in any way. From these two films that we've seen so far, I was just kind of annoyed by it. Like, I knew what they were doing, and I was able to follow it, but it was creating these, these holes in the narrative that left a bunch of questions. However, uh, I think there are great narratives that, that do that, that leave a bunch of open questions. And the whole time you're just thinking, wow, this is weird. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand this. And you keep asking those questions repeatedly. And eventually they start filling in those gaps. And then you start to understand all of the all of the stuff that you had been missing before, and then you have a better appreciation for what had already passed. This is cheapening that because it's creating the holes artificially by just jumping timelines. There's no actual, like, logical leaps that you're having to make, you're just having to piece together when things happened. And so they're not excluding details or giving you a different character's interpretation of a scene so that you, as the viewer, are missing this crucial information, or you aren't seeing something as it's happening in the background. You still see everything, and you still know everything. They're just creating that, that gap in your knowledge by jumping around everywhere. So I think it's actually a pretty weak narrative kind of device in this particular show, and I don't think overall it would really add anything in the end. So you had mentioned earlier, like, maybe it has that payoff at the end because you finally understand everything and you've pieced it all together. I don't think it's going to be that powerful because the the narratives that work really well that do that are using other mechanisms to kind of exclude the information that you would need to piece that stuff together.
1: Yeah. Instead of saying, like, here's the entire puzzle and we're going to give you pieces at random times, is this just took like a picture and just put them in different order it's it's not really a mystery what's going on it's just sort of like and i'm gonna take this chunk and i'm gonna move it over here and i'm gonna take this chunk and move it over here and then i'm gonna present it to you as as though this is how the picture was designed to look or whatever analogy you want to use yeah
0: yeah so kayla with all of that being said would you watch more of this
1: i'm gonna say maybe the only reason why I'm saying maybe is what I said before. I, I think that the production's really good. I think this has good story elements to it. However, the violence is just really hard for me to do personally. It just is. However, I've made exceptions before because I know that the story is really good. I think of something like Full Metal Alchemist as a show that has a, quite a bit of violence in it but I knew that it had such a good story that it was worth pushing through, and that was something you had kind of talked with me about to do Evangelion was sort of the same thing. So if, if I could know that the payout for having to see so much violence was a really good story that would be worth putting myself through that, I would definitely come and v- revisit the show. I think there's the potential for that. But I'm going to have to do a little more research to figure out if that's something I'm comfortable with.
0: I also put down maybe for this one, for a lot of the same reasons and kind of what we talked about already, in that I think there are some flaws to this show. And I kind of wonder, personally, if the source material would be more interesting to me than uh, seeing it in a sort of anime format. Maybe that might benefit you, too, is... Violence in a single frame versus an animated sequence would be completely different. Yeah, um, and I also think of like I would mentioned how UFO Table produced the original Fate Stay Night anime series, and I was not a fan of it. I I don't I don't think I quite connected with it at that point. And it wasn't until almost ten years later when they made the new version that I really bought into the universe. And since this show, or this series of films, I guess, was created at around the same time as that original Fate Stay Night version, I wonder if the, the directors who worked on this particular anime adaptation and uh, the studio was still kind of getting its footing and it's just not something that I could completely connect with. And so while the source material might be great, Maybe this anime adaptation isn't the best format for it. Um, So I'm curious about that. And uh, so I might go pick up, you know, some of the light novels and see if I like those more. Otherwise, I am willing to give the anime a chance. Um, I've enjoyed it. Um, I just don't know if it's worth sticking in for the long haul yet.
1: Well, I'm going to wrap us up for this week. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at animonday.moe. That's animonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcasts at animonday.moe. And you can find us on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Our username is animondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website.
0: Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the Random Button, which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media, and you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for providing the intro and outro music for our show, which come from the Senpai EPs available on His Bandcamp and other places that you might stream music.
1: You ready to roll?
0: I am ready. Random button in 3, 2, 1... The anime for this week is Cells at Work.
1: Yay! I know what this is! This is so exciting! This is the best! <laughs> and the first episode is called Pneumococcus.
0: All right. Ah!
1: This is the best role.
0: Yeah. Well, this is one we've seen before, so we'll get to. Uh...
1: So we'll totally give our objective opinions. Yes.
0: We're not biased at all. <laughs>
1: All right, well, we'll see y'all next week.
0: Look forward to uh, next week's episode, and we'll see you then.
1: Bye. Bye.